It's 1994. The winner of the World Series is nobody because MLB players were on strike. Nancy Kerrigan can only ask why when she's attacked at Kobo Arena in a plot concocted by Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli. Speaking of insane plans, Ron Silver decided that the easiest way to solve his campaign finance woes was time travel. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need for need for speed. Please, we can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Last Action Podcast. I am LPJ, and with me, in a lovely blue-gray shirt, <laughs> the phenomenal Hovercraft Joe. Oh, thank you for that intro. I would say it's just kind of like light blue, you know, but yeah. it's fine. No, it's good. I like it. It's not bad. <laughs> uh, we are Sphinxless again today. We are. No Sphinx, just just us laying it down, but, you know, it's good. We'll, we'll, we'll manage. Yep. <laughs> Especially with this particular particular movie. Oh boy, we are here to talk about Time Cop. Time Cop. Well, your your boy JCVD, G- little JCVD action, which I am I am a, obviously a big JCVD fan. It's true. I and oddly enough, I suggested that we do this, and you were very ecstatic. I was I was all about it, <laughs> and I think the catalyst was like I was like, "Hey, I found for some reason I have an unopened two pack that has Time Cop and Bloodsport in it, which is great." <laughs> so we did it, and you know, uh, I had never seen this movie prior to watching it for the podcast. I have seen this movie a lot. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, I saw it. This is one of those movies that I rented as soon as I could get my hands on it. Yeah, because obviously I couldn't go and see it in the theater. Right. Um. But this was like right at, so this is 94, it came out. Yeah, I have the release date of September 16th, 1994. Right. So this would have been like right at the tail end of my Jean-Claude Van Damme-like fandom. Okay. So this movie- Oh, your fandom's over. No, it wasn't over. (laughs) But I didn't rush out after this to really see a whole lot of his other movies. Okay. It's kind of one of the last ones that I really- Well, I was going to say, like he, this is kind of like his moment may have been kind of ending at this point. Yeah, he did this. I think Sudden Death was after this. Yeah, I think that was 95. I think I saw that. Yep. And then um, after that was, I think that's when he did like the Legionnaire okay. and like some other stuff. And that's where it kind of tailed off. But a lot of the stuff that you would know him for would be before this. Absolutely. Yeah. This but, is really the kind of the end song for him. Okay. Got it. Yep. And uh, yeah, and I, I saw it as soon as I could get my hands on it for in, to rent. And I, I liked it. Like, I love this movie right off the bat. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah. And again, like I said, I, this is my first, I obviously knew about it and I kind of probably maybe always meant to watch it, but never had. So this, you know, was my first time viewing it. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. I'm surprised you haven't seen it, especially considering this is one of those things I didn't realize who this was produced by. Yeah. I guess I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that either until I kind of looked into it a little yeah. bit. So this is produced by Sam Raimi and, and Rob Tappert. Yeah. Which is huge. Right. I mean that's it's <laughs> Sam Raimi. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and we are we are probably pretty interested in anything Sam Raimi was doing. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe not specifically at this time, but right after that. Yeah, you think it would have come up? Because mm-hmm. I remember Darkman was out 
pretty soon around this yeah, time too. Like we we need to do that too. Yeah, Darkman's good. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. But that, I'd like that to is, is it. a surprisingly good movie. But yeah, you think we would have? I that, I am surprised when I saw that. I was like, wow, I had no mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, and this was like a, this was a full Renaissance Pictures production. Oh, okay, like that. It was their whole production company. That Renaissance Pictures is Sam Raimi's production company, right? Um, and so it was all of the people that he typically works with. Okay, which I was surprised Bruce Campbell didn't show up in the movie. <laughs> that would have been sweet. Hattie. It would have been very sweet. Um, so I had on this uh, a budget of twenty seven million, mm-hmm. uh, with a domestic gross of forty four million. Yeah, and a worldwide gross of one hundred and one million dollars. It did well. Yeah, which is like crazy. That's like a great turnaround, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. <laughs> this obviously is John Claude Van Damme's hundred million dollar movie. Right. He had one other. Okay. Do you remember what it is? Was it prior to? Yes. So this is because I remember seeing that this was his second. That is correct. Hundred. Uh, but I, you know, what's funny is that I was like, I'm gonna figure out what the first one was, uh-huh. and I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to do some searches and I couldn't figure it out. It's pretty easy to think about it well, if you think about it. I think maybe I'll guess and say Bloodsport. No, not Bloodsport. Okay. Universal Soldier. Oh shoot! I guess I didn't. I guess I wasn't thinking about when that came out. Yeah, that was right. It was right before this. Uh, but yeah, Universal Soldier was the only other one that made a hundred million dollars. Um, however, this film is considered to be a better film than Universal okay. Soldier. Here's uh, I have actually a pop quiz for you. Pop quiz, hot shot. Related to kind of the same thing. Do you know what is the highest grossing Jean Claude Van Damme movie of all time? The highest grossing Jean Claude Van Damme movie yeah, of mo- all time. Movie that he. I, I guess we should say movie he was in. Expendables two. You know that's close. That's number two. Okay. But number one. Is Kung Fu Panda 2. Which oh, apparently, he was a voice in that. That's right. That movie made $665 million. Yeah, I remember that was big. And The Expendables 2 is $311 million. Yeah. But you know what third is? Time, Time Cop. Time Cop? Yeah. Nice. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> I like it. Um, so while we're talking about how much money this made, uh, kind of getting into the the movies from 1994, uh, Time Cop came in 31st okay. in 1994. Um, I have two quick questions for you on this. Do you think you can name any of the top three of 94? Uh, 94, 94. Braveheart? No. No? One of them is an animated film. One is a film that we will cover on this podcast. And one has Tom Hanks in it. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's number one. Uh, Pulp Fiction? No. Um, an animated film that came out in '94. Animated Disney film. Oh, uh, uh, oh, so '94. I'm trying to think. That wouldn't be. It's particularly relevant. Is it, is it Aladdin? They're bleeding the beast. The Lion King. Oh, the Lion King. Okay, sorry. And then, I was thinking too then the third one is True Lies. Oh yeah. But here's another quick thing for you. There's two other movies that you guys have done on the podcast, not episodes that I was in, okay. that came out in '94 and uh, finished eight and twenty-four respectively in the box office. Any idea what those Speed? were? Speed. Speed is number eight. And what's the other one from '94? It was a particularly divisive episode for you guys. Our dear friend Sphinx did not enjoy this movie. And I wish I would have been on because I would have probably been on your side. Um, I don't know. It's the crow. Oh, the crow. That's right. So the crow and speed both did better than time cap. Yep. Um, this has a Rotten Tomato score of forty five percent. Okay. And an audience score of thirty six percent. Wow, the audience score is lower. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. Um, 
I'm not, but <laughs> <laughs> dick. <laughs> so, you know. Um, so I guess maybe now's the time where we'd like to talk about the cast. Yes, please. Which um, obviously Jean Claude Van Damme uh, playing Walker. Why am I forgetting blanking on his first name? Uh, 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 Max Walker. Max Walker. Um, Ron Silver is playing Senator McComb. Yep, Aaron McComb. Aaron McComb. Uh, Mia Sarah. Yeah. Is Melissa? I don't Mia know. Sarah, she, of course, of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Eh? That's correct. Uh, and then the only other person I mentioned in mind was uh, Bruce McGill. Bruce McGill. That is correct. Pop quiz, hot shot. All right. We're going to get him all the way now. Bruce McGill plays the sidekick to another '90s mullet-wearing icon of my youth. <laughs> Who was it? Oh, uh, man, uh, is this a movie? No. No, you know what? I know what this is. He's on MacGyver. Doesn't that is he, correct. He plays, what's his name? He's, Jack, He's right? Jack Dalton on MacGyver. Okay, dang uh-huh. it. I should have known that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another reason why I really like this movie. Uh, and he plays Matuzak? Yep, yep. Uh, uh, Colonel Eugene Matuzak. Okay. And here's, okay. So this is something I finally figured out today, and it was bugging me the whole time I was watching the movie. You'll probably know this right off the bat. But one of, we'll get into it more when we get into the plot, but one of the main, like, um, henchmen in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he was bugging me so much because I'm like, that guy is so familiar looking. Like, where where is it? Where do I know this guy? He kind of had, like, the long hair, like, yeah. the ponytail. Do you huh? know what I'm talking about, what yeah, this yeah. guy is? He's the guy from Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, he's the guy from Rumble in the Bronx. The guy that he, like, hits with the wrench yep. and the helmet and all that. I huh? was like, it was driving me crazy. I think in my notes, I'm like, why does this guy look so weird? I was, like, so mad. Oh, yeah. And then today, I finally figured it out. I'm like, I wonder if that's him. So Oh, it's totally him. Yeah, and I have his name written somewhere. I can't remember I what know. it was. But, oh, it's uh, Richard Fer- Ferrarsi, I think it is. Yes, but, Richard, but it, yeah. But it looked Richard like... Richard Ferris. Yeah, it looked like he's since passed, so RIP. Oh. But anyways. Got hit in the head with too many helmets. <laughs> uh, you want to run through some uh, net worths real quick? Do it. All right. Uh, so I only did three mm-hmm. because Ron Silver has passed. Okay. So I didn't look up to see what his net worth was. Uh, what do you think for Bruce McGill? Uh, Bruce McGill has done a lot of TV, so I'm going to say... I'll, I'll say $7 million. Ooh, that's high. He's $2 million. Okay. Uh, next, Mia Sarah. Five million. One point five million. Wow. <laughs> and then JCVD, we probably did this. We on, did, yeah, we covered this on the other one. Do you remember what it was? It was actually pretty good. Yeah. I, I think it was like two hundred million. That's too high. Oh yeah. It's thirty million. Thirty million? <laughs> wow. All right. So it's not that good. But yeah, so you know, not not a super no, rich Mia, people. Support Mia Sarah. Well, I mean, I'd still take one point five million dollars. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, the director of this is Peter... Peter Hyams. Hyams, mm-hmm. which uh, the only things that I saw that was, well, Sudden Death, which obviously is right. another JCVD. Uh, End of Days, yep. which is a fun movie we'll cover at some point where I believe Arnold Schwarzenegger fights the devil. He certainly does. <laughs> and The Relic, which is a movie I remember. The Relic, what was that? I don't know, it was something like, a, it was like a an exhibit at a museum, but it turned out to be some kind of creature that they had to fight. Who's in it? Uh, I think it had Penelope Ann Miller in it. I don't remember who else. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's like a mu- it was like a, like, a th- like around the time the mummy came out. Maybe a little earlier than that. I think it was like a mid nineties thing. Okay. I just remember the title of it. So. All right. Fair enough. Um, the writer, um, Mark. Mark Verheiden. Yes. Yeah. Who I, seems to have done a lot of stuff. Mark Verheiden's done a ton of stuff, and he writes. Uh, he wrote a ton of comics. Right. I did look into that. He, he seemed to have written a lot of Dark Horse, you know, like Predator, Alien comics, yep. and Superman comics. And wrote a lot of super, I read a lot of his Superman run. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And, cause I, and it seemed like he had done like a, some interesting stuff, like as far as writing-wise, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of TV shows. Like I saw they had written some episodes of Daredevil and Constantine uh, yeah. and Smallville. 
Yeah, he writes. He, he's basically like a like a sci-fi comic writer. Yeah. So he created the show or helped create the show Falling Skies, um, which is a big hit on TNT. Um, he he does a lot of stuff. Does a lot of work with Sam Raimi. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he yeah he's kind of like I know him just from a lot of the stuff that I watch. Um, I, I saw that he's also involved in that new the the DC streaming service, the Swamp yes. Thing show they have coming out. Yep. And what's interesting, I saw, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later because I took a few extra notes, but that he was the uh, creator or the writer for the Time Cop TV series. Yeah, he wrote pretty much all of it. Which I didn't know was a thing. Yeah, it lasted, I think, two seasons, maybe? No. It was What was it like? <laughs> it was it, 13 episodes were ordered, only nine aired. Oh, okay. So, so no, no, no. Um, he also wrote The Mask. Yep. Um, uh, the composer is someone we've talked about before, uh, Mark Isham. Yep. Which, uh, he'd done a ton of movies. The one that we covered, which he did the music for Blade. That's right, yep. He did Blade. He also did Point Break. Um, uh, the Hitcher, if you know The Hitcher. That sounds familiar. Crash. But cra- oh, okay, Crash, like mm-hmm. the Oscar-winning film. Uh, I didn't check to see if it was that one. Or the, or okay, the, the weird one. Or the one from directed by... Uh, um, I can't think of his name now. The <laughs> other one. Okay, so it was one of the Crash movies. One of the one. Crashes. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so it was based on, like you said, a Dark Horse comic. Um, I, somewhere in here I have uh, uh, the creator of it. Oh, it was developed uh, by a story by Mark Richardson, mm-hmm. and the comic was written by Mark Verheden, by Verheden yep. and drawn by Ron Randall. Right. But I guess that the comic doesn't really resemble what this film is. No, not really. They just basically took the kind of the concept of it and then made a movie out of it. Yeah, I think I remember seeing it was like it had the the TEC in it, and it was about yeah. like someone that went back in time to stop like a robot or I don't know something weird. Like yeah, that. something <laughs> totally different. So they basically took kind of the idea and turned it sure. into this, which I, which makes more sense, right? Which uh, yeah, I mean I guess. <laughs> yeah, because I, I read the I read the synopsis of the comic, and there's no way they could have made a movie out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So I think this works better. You know, I think it, it's a good concept to run with. So sure. to kind of go from there. Um, do we want to start kind of going through the plot on this? Yeah, we can. Okay. Um, I, so this movie opens up, I will say like I hadn't seen it before and the opening of it was very intriguing to me because it opens up where in Gainesville, Georgia in 1863, right? where it's like a group of Confederate soldiers and they're transporting some Confederate gold and they're kind of stopped along the road by an unknown assailant. Man. Yeah. Like right. guy in a trench coat. Yeah. And they kind of like talk back and forth. He basically wants them to give him the gold. Uh, he doesn't want to, and then all of a sudden he like opens up his trench coat, and he's got like futuristic machine he's guns. Got two Uzis. Yeah, and he just blows all these Confederate soldiers away. Right. So that's that was really cool because I like I said I'd never seen it, and I was like, what is going on? And that, I thought that look. Here's the thing I'll say about this movie, and my my real thoughts on it will come through as we're talking about this, but. It, it didn't look it looks good like uh, most things in it look good like sure. I, like that scene particularly to me was like oh this looks really good you know like i thought it was going to look a lot cheaper some of the stuff and it didn't no so i guess that's one thing in its favor <laughs> no i agree <laughs> um so after that we're kind of we're taken into 1994 which is the present at the time of this when this movie came out sure uh, it's like a senate oversight committee for covert operations and what we learn from this briefing is that time travel exists there's this former like nobel prize winning scientist who was able to figure out time travel it now exists and they decided that because it's such a dangerous thing they need to create an organization to basically police time travel right which is going to be the time enforcement 
Commission, Correct. which is the TEC. But here's my first question for you, okay? Because they're talking about how like time travel was, and I guess that the answer is going to be time travel, but they're like, time travel, we just invented it. We need to get a group to police it because somebody just tried to buy a bunch of like weapons with Confederate gold. So, but how, is it just a time travel? Is that the answer? Because it's like, if time travel was just invented, how could someone already be using it to go back in the past and rob somebody? Yeah, I, I think that's essentially what the answer is. Because <laughs> I, I have questions too that are going to. Here's the issue with this movie: is the mechanics of how time travel works is never really fully explained. Right, and I have some. When we get to it, I have some big questions about the actual like time traveling sequences in this. Yeah, because they don't make sense to me. No, <laughs> I, like I, there's one point where. So they're tracking like so so the way they decide to to police this is they're tracking for anomalies I guess. Yes. Like in the time stream? Right. But there's a point where the time stream gets changed and they don't seem to be aware of the change in the time stream. Right. So how are they not aware of that but aware of these other little <laughs> ones? Well, and and here's another question I was too like supposedly like this is like a i mean it's a very scientific thing and you know very expensive and all the stuff but it's like so who's going to have access to this so much there would be all these people going back in time to commit crimes exactly like they had to drive get into a rocket sled yeah. and drive to like this weird like half circle thing right that transports them back in time but the, the, it's, it's presented to us as a world where people are constantly going back in time to commit crimes yeah so much so that we need this, but it's like, how would they have the technology? I don't know. And it's never explained. No, it's never explained, and I mean, it, it's never explained. <laughs> it's just never explained. Right. Um, and then I have questions about like the whole sled thing, like, so yeah. they go back in time in the sled, okay. but then pop out not in the sled? Right, and then they walk through a portal, and they show back up in the sled. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. No, I have no idea how that works. Huh, I thought you were gonna have an answer for me. No, I don't. I don't. That's my. That's one of the biggest questions I have. <laughs> so anyway, so they're gonna form this uh, TEC. They're gonna. They're getting someone from the uh, police force to run it. That's uh, Bruce McGill. Bruce McGill. Yeah. He's gonna run it, but they need someone on the Senate to oversee like the, the whatever the time thing. And that's when uh, Ron Silver's character, Senator McComb, he's like, okay, yeah. I'll oversee it. Blah blah blah. Um, then I believe we're introduced to Jean Claude Van Damme. At a mall. Well, we're introduced to his wife first. Right. Played by Mia Sarah, Melissa. Yeah. Uh, he shows up. Uh, they're at the mall. He says some cheesy line to her. That's real creepy. Yeah. He stops a dude on rollerblades from stealing a purse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're kind of like, they, they show the two guys kind of watching him, like uh, in the top layer uh, level of the mall, the guy from Rumble in the Bronx and yep. some other guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, this movie looks very 90s. Oh, yeah. 100%. It is super 90s looking <laughs> um they're kind of talking about how uh jcvd is going to accept he was offered because like bruce mcgill's his buddy i think from the regular police force or no um i don't i couldn't figure that part i don't think they were at the time okay i think they became friends okay well he's offered a job and he's decides he's going to take this job at the tez tc the bez bet the tec so he's going to take the job there um, we go back to the house. There's a gratuitous uh, sex scene that's thrown oh, in there. Classic John Claude Van Damme sex scene. Yeah, just so we could see his buns. Yep. <laughs> so uh, after that, he gets called into work. Uh, his wife is like, "Oh, I have something important to tell you," but she doesn't. 
Um, he goes to leave the house. He's like immediately assaulted by these guys. Right. The the guy from Rumble in the Bronx, a few other guys. Some gang. His, their, their gang of people. Right. And they like they take Mia Sarah into the house and like they, they think they kill him maybe. They shoot him, but he's got armor on or body uh-huh. armor on. Uh, and the house blows up. So she's dead. And that's we're, we're kind of like immediately from that scene, we're taking to another one in the past where it's Wall Street in October 30th, 1929. Correct. Um, there's a guy named Atwood. He's from the future. He's basically manipulating stocks back there to make money. Yeah, he's buying up. So he has a newspaper from 1994 that he brought back with him, and he's buying stocks when they're kind of first created, uh, uh, when they're like, you know, a dollar a share. Right. So he can make a ton of money in the future. Right, so he's buying up all these stocks, making money, and then like Jean Claude Van Damme shows up. Yes, uh, looking different, but yeah, as longer hair. Yeah, we're not entirely sure why yet. Uh, turns out Atwood is his ex partner at the TEC. He's gone rogue, and he's there to bring him in. Um, there's a fight scene. He does the splits like almost immediately. Yep, that's one of my, <laughs> my notes. Says splits! Exclamation point. I have a note that says splits! Exclamation point. <laughs> So, like, here's the thing that I found interesting is, like, we're, like, what would you say, like, 15 minutes into this movie at this point? Yeah, probably. And, like, we immediately find out from Matt Wood that McComb is behind all this. Like, he tells him that Senator McComb... Yeah, he just flat out tells him that McComb is behind He's like, McComb's the one that's behind this, you know, but I'm not going to testify against him because... Because he'll have him killed. He'll have his family killed before they're even born. Right. He tries to jump out a window, like, basically to kill himself so he doesn't get taken back. Right. But Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, uh, follows, and then, like, they go through that weird portal together. Yeah, trigger the portal, which I, I will say this, the for the time, the portal is pretty cool. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad, no. no. Um, so that, he takes him back to the present day, which now is 2004. Right. So we're 10 years from when the movie started in 1994. Um, Atwood, he won't testify against Macomb. So apparently they just send him back to the past when he was flying off the building and he hits the ground and dies. Yeah, they kill him there. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of weird. Uh, at this point, we find out that McComb is running for president. Right. Um, he kind of shows up at the TEC. He has a real like tense conversation because at this point, JCVD knows he's bad and they're kind of having it out. I I think the thing is that like he's trying to shut down the TEC. Is that what it is? He's trying to shut down the TEC so that they can't prevent him from going back to make money. Okay. Which <laughs> leads me to another question. Okay. Why bother killing JCVD's wife? Um, I don't know. Because it's one of those things where they, I think they thought, well, they wanted to kill him. Yeah. Because they didn't want him joining the TEC. But why? Because in the future, I guess they knew that he was going to try and stop him. But then it's like one of those time loop things because he tries to stop him because, I don't know. He tries to stop him because his wife gets killed. It's true. So, but he was going to join the TEC anyways. Yeah. I don't know. It, I don't, like, I don't... It's not really explained. No. The time travel in here is... is very, they take it very very liberally. Yeah, it's very kind of fast and loose, and it's not oh, really... Yeah. It, it happens, and it's obviously a big plot point, but they don't really 
explain much or any no. of it. <laughs> um, so the the one thing we do learn in this one, they're kind of because they're kind of taking another senator around, showing them the TEC, and that's where we get the big thing is like, oh, don't run into yourself in the past because uh, what is it? Uh, the same matter can't occupy the same space. Yes, like we hear that a couple of times in the movie. It can't occupy the same space at the same uh, time. Matter can't. That's what they say. Yeah. So and it comes up a couple of times. Um, McComb, he's trying to make money because he's running for president. He needs like fifty million dollars or something. Something. So that's why he's doing all these like excursions into the past, sending people in the past to try and make mm-hmm. him money. Which I gotta say, <laughs> as far as motivations for villains are concerned. Like, he's trying to raise funds <laughs> to run for president. It's so expensive to run for president that his only option is to send people in the past to make money for him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't I don't get it either. I feel like they could have thought of some <laughs> better plot motivations than that. Sure. For, you know, I, I don't know. I just, like, I was like, this, it reminded me of... Um, one of the worst Bond movies, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, where Elliot Carver's, uh he's trying to secure the uh, broadcast rights to China. Yeah, for the next hundred years. So, and he's starting World War Three for that. So I'm like, okay, all right. That's I. I was surprised to find out that that was his motivation. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um, so he has guys in the TEC. Uh, JCVD kind of wants to investigate him, but Matuzik, Bruce McGill, is basically like, look. You got to have concrete evidence if you're going to go after him. He's right. a senator. Blah 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 blah. Um, <laughs> this is when we're introduced to the the future cars. Yeah, man. These <laughs> what uh, what are these things? They're like I don't, they're like like if you took okay so okay so here's what they are right? okay so let's say you took a car right right <laughs> and. No, let's back up. Let's say you took. <laughs> fuck! What are these things? It's like it's like you took cardboard and <laughs> cut it out and painted it. Yeah, and like slapped it on the outside of a car. Right. Like it just it, it, it like I don't think there's like a windshield or anything. No, there's no windows because they're self-driving. Right. But it's kind of like the bottom of a normal car, but then yeah. like someone built like Legos all over it or something. Yeah, you're, you're right. It looks like it looks like a Lego car. Yeah, it's but it doesn't have a windshield or anything like that. No, it's just like a gray box over a normal car body. Yeah, and you just say go home, <laughs> and it drives you home. Take me home. But it's like I I don't get it. I don't understand why future cars are so hard for people to grasp. I, I don't they. Cars just seem to always look like cars to me. Yeah, generally they they have the same basic. I mean, obviously the styles change, right? But generally they're, you know, four wheels, some windows, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, but they went off the rails with this one. Yeah, they went too crazy with this. <laughs> um, JCVD goes home. He has an apartment. He kind of just sits around and watches like old videotapes of his wife and like drinks. Yeah, and like mouths along his dialogue with the videos. Which is real weird, <laughs> real sad. Um, he gets up the next morning and there's a, a pretty pretty fun fight scene in his apartment. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, with knives and stuff. He fights this like uh, Asian guy and they're mm-hmm. doing like a knife fight. It's pretty awesome, actually. I really that, enjoyed that. That's scene. the scene I remember the most from the trailers. Is like when he jumps up and does the splits. splits yeah, splits. Yep. I have splits again with an exclamation point. Yep. 
Um, I have a note, and I'm not entirely sure why, but it says, I don't think tasers work like that. I'm not sure, because they're trying to get him with a taser, I think. Yeah, they're trying to get him with a taser, and um, they, it's the taser that has the prongs that shoot out, okay. and it hits the pool of water, but it electrocutes the guy that's holding the taser. Yeah. He, which, does, it, he does at one point, and I have this in my notes, he says, 50,000 volt, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> which, I don't think it's that many. <laughs> so yeah, so that guy gets electrocuted. Um, they show up to his apartment, like, he's he's being invested, investigated by internal affairs. Right. Because his partner was crooked, so they're like, well, we need to make sure that you're not crooked, I guess. Right. Uh, and that's, um, I guess we didn't mention her, uh, is it Gloria Rubin? Yeah, Gloria Rubin of ER fame. Right. She's actually on, uh, Cloak and Dagger now. Oh, okay. Which is a good show. Um, Never watching it. Oh, it's good, you should check it out. But anyways... Um, and this is where we're kind of introduced to what we said is like that needlessly complicated time travel procedure that yeah, they have. Man. Because wow. my note says, why do they leave in a ship, but not in one when they arrive? Yeah. So, so, so they get into this giant rocket sled. Right. Like we said, and it blasts as fast as it can toward a wall. Well, yeah, but there's kind of like a weird, but there's half before sphere, the wall, there's like circle. a half circle, like gate thing that opens up a time rift. Yeah. And they fly into the rift if it opens. They they never know apparently, <laughs> and um and then they appear kind of out of thin air wherever yeah. it is they're going with no ship, right? But then when they return, they walk through the portal and then they they show up back up and they in show the sled. up back in the sled, and it's never explained like where does the sled go? How do they get back into the sled? Yeah, you think they would arrive in the sled, and why do you need to gain so much speed to get to the pass yeah but then when you come back you just like hit a button and walk through the portal right it's it's i mean it's a movie and it's time travel but you can do like a little bit of explanation you know sure and did they mention you can't go to the future is it did they say that did they i don't know if they did or not because they only ever go to the past that's true and if you can go to the past but you can't go to the future can you take somebody from the past and bring them to the future <laughs> These are all good questions. I d- unfortunately don't have answers for you. Huh. And I don't think the movie does either. I don't think it does either. <laughs> um, so they go back to 1994 because there's an anomaly that they're investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, what I kind of get, and maybe I miss this, but is that Macomb was partners in kind of like a, a, a factory or something with a guy named Parker, I believe. And in the past, he severed the partnership with this guy because he didn't think like the technology was going anywhere. Oh, so okay, all of the chips and technology that they use in time travel, um, the new, the new like whatever new chips they have, are from this company. Okay, Parker Macomb or whatever it is, and um, uh, well, it's Parker in the future, right? And what it turns out is, in 1994, Aaron Senator Aaron Macomb, Ron Silver sold his shares and bought out of the company because he didn't think it was going anywhere. Okay. So he goes back in time to correct that. He goes back in time to say, don't be stupid, because that's how he's going to get all of his money back. Right. Because he goes back and he basically, he meets the younger version of himself. Right. And tells him like, hey. Because it's revealed earlier in the film that he had lost like $4 billion by selling, like he would have had $4 billion worth of stock if he had kept what he had owned back in 94. Okay, so that's why he goes back to kind of correct that mistake. Right. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Fielding, who is uh, Gloria Rubin, right. show up to try and bust him and like, hey, we hey, we got gotcha. you. But it turns out that she is working for Macomb. 
That's correct. Uh, I, it, Macomb kills Parker, which is like, wasn't he the smart guy? Didn't they need him? Or was like the chip already invented, so it didn't matter if he was dead? I don't know. I mean, I think that would have put a big wrench in things. Yeah, I was confused because I was like, all right, is like this 100% done? You don't need his brain anymore? <laughs> you well, no, just- you, because the chip didn't become... Like, the, the 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 new chip was the one they were worried about. Yeah, so it seems like if he killed him, it would have never been invented. Right. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, do, I don't know. Um, it's a pretty cool fight scene in this uh, factory, though. Sure. Um, the, I can't remember exactly what happens, but, like, there's a cool thing where the young Macomb gets, like, a cut on his face. Yeah. And it immediately appears on, like, older Ron Silver. Yeah, as, like, that a was scar. Cool. Like, that's a cool little thing. And uh, at one point, a guy gets his... It, I don't know what kind of factory it is. Computer chip factory. But a guy sure. get, guy gets his arm, like, frozen, and JCVD, like, kicks yeah, it off. Yeah, frozen in liquid nitrogen. Yeah, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, then it, uh, Macomb apparently kills Fielding, or what would lead to believe that she's dead. He gets, right. She gets shot, and JCVD, like, goes back to the future. Yes. Which is where he walks through a portal, but then shows back up in the pod. Which is bizarre. <laughs> but now, 2004, it's been changed. Yeah. Because of what McComb's actions in the past. So now he's still running. Is, is he president at this point, or is he just still running? He's still running. He's still for- running for president. Right. Um, but, he's, but he's like going to win in a landslide. Right. And he's like, he's closing down. He's in the process of closing down the TEC. Right. Which will prevent them from going back to stopping him. And then, okay, I'm a little confused here, so maybe you can help me out. Sure. So he talks with um, Bruce McGill. Yeah. And he's kind of like, ah, I need to go back and stop McComb because they don't realize that this is wrong. But for some reason, he decides that he needs to go back and find Fielding. Uh, Gloria Rubin, because she can testify against? Yeah, because she's the only other person that knows. Because everybody in the future now, their minds have been changed. Okay. Like the few, and she's the only other person that knows what's happened. Okay. Because they figure out that McComb is, has been able to go back to the past because he has access to like the prototype facility. Yes. Where they initially developed time travel. Right. Which I thought was going to be a whole thing like they were going to go to wherever he was using. Yeah, you'd think. But it wasn't. No. <laughs> um, so at this point is when McComb kind of formulates the plan where he's like, well, we need to go back and kill JCVD before he joins the TEC. Right. They want to stop him because that way he won't investigate him and blah, 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 blah. So he goes back in time, as he decided to do, to find Gloria Rubin. Right. <laughs> so she can testify against him. Um, while he's like going through the portal again, uh, Bruce McGill, McGill gets shot. Um, there's kind of the, I will say it's kind of cool when he shows up in 1994 that time. There's like a truck right behind him. He, yeah. He materializes like right in front of the truck, and he like ducks down. It drives over. I think I remember that from like trailers. Yeah, I remember that from the trailer, too. Um, so he finds Fielding. She's still alive. Uh, she's in the hospital as like a Jane Doe. Right. And she's kind of like, all right, I agree. I'll testify against him. But then, again, another thing I didn't quite get is they're like, well, I need we need some of your blood. But why do they need her blood? I don't know. Because <laughs> she's like, oh, we need need the blood if we're going to prove it's me. Or I, I, it didn't it didn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't, don't have any idea why. So... <laughs> so he goes to the blood bank in the hospital to find like a sample of her blood uh, so they can bring it back with her. I don't, again, don't know exactly why they need it. Um, but while he's there, conveniently, his wife happened to be at the same hospital getting test done. 
Uh, tests done. Tests done. Uh, he finds her blood sample, and conveniently on it, it basically says, oh, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. So that was like the big news that she right. wanted to tell him before like the initial attack at the house happened, was that she was pregnant. So when he finds this out, he goes back, um, and Glory Rune is dead. Yeah, someone's poisoned her, basically. Like, basically killed her via IV, like, poison. Right, and then he sees the guys that were originally attacked his house in 1994. Right. The hitman, the the guy from Rumble in the Bronx. Sure. And the other guy. Uh, he jumps out a window. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and decides that he's going to go back to the mall. Because at this point, I think he, does he know his wife's in trouble? No, I think what he knows is he can find the, yeah, he, yeah, he knows she's in trouble. So he's trying to prevent her from going home or he's trying to, because he knows how it's going to play out. Yeah. And he knows, because he remember seeing the guy at the mall. Yeah. So I think he's going to follow the guys. Okay. Because he, because he goes to the mall. Um, It's kind of funny that the rollerblading guy shows back up and he like stops him. (laughs) Before he even like goes to steal the purse, yeah. I, I can't remember what he says to him, but he's somebody like "don't" or something like he yeah. knows. Um, he saves his wife because at this, because he shows up and is more like, "Hey, I'm," because he looks completely different. He's got like sure. longer hair and a beard, yeah. And she kind of knows, and uh, there's like a little bit of a chase scene where those guys are kind of following him through the mall, um, trying to get her, I guess, because they see him. I'm not sure. I don't know what the what the motivation is because they did in the past they didn't attack him at the mall. No. But then now they do. Right. So I don't I don't really know exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very the, the plot is very confusing as far as what's happening. Yeah, they don't and again, the, the movie it's it's a brisk movie. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's you know, I think an hour and 40 with credits. Yeah. So they don't take a lot of time to kind of explain a lot of this stuff. No, there's very there's really not much exposition in this movie You're at all. They're throwing a lot of stuff at you and then they don't really kind of ever go back and explain it. Right. <laughs> um, so he almost kind of, he, his, his, the past version of him shows up, but they don't run into each other. They kind of pass each other or whatever. Yeah. Um, he goes to the house. Um, the future version of him goes to the house. Right. <laughs> this is where my notes get very confusing because I keep having to write future JCVD, past J- JCVD, um, and it's very confusing. Um, in this version of the past, though, she, cause she's like, JCVD's like, don't let him leave the house. Don't let him go because he knows that those guys are there to kill him. Right. Yeah. And if he leaves, then, then he won't be there to protect her. Right. And keep her safe. So she tells the past JCVD at this point that she is pregnant. Right. Um, <laughs> this is where, before I figured out the long haired guy, from Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. I was so mad about how he looked. I have a note in here that says, why does the one assassin look like such a fucking idiot? Like, Oh, it, yeah. Like, it was bugging me so much, his, like, long, weird, braided hair, and I was like, I couldn't figure out what they were going for. Yeah, it's real weird, and it's, he has, like, metal shin guards on. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I just, it was, his look was bugging me. Yeah. And then, like, once I figured out he was a guy from Rumble in the Bronx, I felt a little bit better because I'm like, okay, well, that's, like, the haircut that he has sure, that's in Rumble in the Bronx. So I was like, all right, I guess I can deal with it. But at the time when I was taking these notes. Yeah, I mean, realistically, he's dressed almost exactly the same. It's true. Well, I think he wears a suit in Rumble in the Bronx, like, a, when he's disguised as the FBI agent. Oh, yeah, yeah, But, like, it was bugging me so much that it was driving me crazy. Um, so past JCVD fights the future assassins. Yeah. Um, he throws one out a window. Yeah. 
Um, there's kind of that cool scene where they're like, um, I can't remember if it's the future or the thing is the past JCVD and they're like fighting and like, they're like hanging off the roof, you know? Yeah. And like the guns just oh, out of yeah. reach. And like, he's kind of like stomping because like she falls too and he's holding on to the roof of one hand and holding on to Melissa, Mia Sarah with one hand. And like, but he's like stomping on his foot, like he's gonna fall. But it, like, I think one of the guns is just out of reach. It's like in the gutter. It yeah. rolled off the. Uh, first of all, <laughs> okay. Why does she go on the roof? Because I, I don't know. Because they went up yeah. to, to escape trouble, and then like the logical conclusion, I guess, was like the roof was the only place to go. It's a rainstorm, mind you. So it is pouring rain. So they're like walking around on this roof with nothing, you know, no ropes or anything like that, and it's like slick, and it's like yeah. So at one point, Mia Sarah starts to fall off the roof. JCVD's falling off the roof. He catches her. The gun falls, but it lands in the gutter. So what we were getting at was... Was that she somehow, like, grabs the gun with her good hand that's not holding on to JCVD and, like, flips it up and shoots the guy, like, right before he can stomp on his hand and cause them both to fall. Yeah. Um, So they're, like, split up at the time (laughs) because... So stupid saying this. Past JCVD is fighting some of these assassins while... Future JCVD is also being chased by one of these sets, which I swear to you, LPJ, they cut to those shots of them just like walking through like woods or whatever, like, would you say like five times? There's so many shots. Just, yes. (laughs) Where they just show like future JCVD walking and then they show the guy following them and it's like a quick cut and then they go back to the action of the house. But they they show it so many times. I'm like, where are they at? Yeah. They're uh, allegedly in like a residential neighborhood, so much so that they come upon like a clothesline. Yeah. But it it's just like... I don't understand it. It's like a time filler, I feel like. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was there just to pad. Because, and then, I don't have this clearly explained to me, but, so he ends up tricking this guy with the clothesline somehow by confusing him. He, like, hides behind a blanket or makes him think he's behind a blanket on the clothesline. I think so, yeah. Because then he, he grabs a shotgun and he shoots that guy. Right, yeah. And he says, ooh, that's gotta hurt. I have that in my notes. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm glad you wrote that one down. Um, so Macomb is there at this point. Yes. Future Macomb. Why, why does he show up? Why does he do his own dirty work? I don't know. I don't know. And I have an even better question for something else coming up. Sure. Um, so Future Macomb has Melissa, uh, past JC, JCVD. He kills another assassin. Uh, there's a one point where the future JCVD saves the past JC. VD from the guy from Rumble in the Bronx. Yes. Because I think the past one is knocked out at that during that. Yeah, fight. he gets knocked out and he's like laying in the front of the yard or something. Right. And um JC future JCVD snaps his neck. Snaps yes. the assassin's neck. Right, not his own neck. Right. <laughs> That'd be terrible. So he um <laughs> he goes into the house where future Macomb is holding Melissa hostage. Oh, would that be suicide or murder? <laughs> I don't know. Huh. And if he killed his past self, would he immediately die then too? I think. Anyways. Sorry, so, time, time travel, folks. Time travel. <laughs> so here comes another plot point that doesn't make sense. So future Macomb is holding uh, Mia Sayer hostage. Yes. And then past Macomb shows up. Yes. Because at a certain point, there's a small scene where it's in like the Senate chambers or whatever. Somewhere. And like there's like a, he gets like a phone call or a message and he's like, oh, okay. And so I guess this message was for him to come to this house. Yeah. But what it in, it was sent by Jean Claude Van Damme. But what was in that message that convinced the senator that he needed to go to this house? What I think it was is I think JCVD pretended to be future Macomb. Okay. Sending him a message to say show up at this house because at this point the past Macomb 
would know that the future Macomb existed because they yeah. met. Oh, when, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> We're doing a good job. You're helping me out. Um, so uh, he, what he does is once the past Macomb shows up, he kicks past Macomb into future Macomb. Yes. And they bump into each other, which, what we learn, what, what can't happen. The same, same matter. can't occupy the same space. At the same time. So in what is seemingly a terrible special effect, yeah, they merge or... They I, turn into like a blob of flesh. It kind of looks like the... Um, the Lamagra. Bl- the, the blood god. Yeah, it looks like Lamagra yeah. from Blade. Yeah, so which came out four years after this, so maybe they ripped it off. Maybe. So he... Um, <laughs> well, it was for Heat, or the same guy directed it, right? Or did the music. Sorry, the music. music guy. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> maybe they called him up. It's like, listen, Isham. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm doing the music for Blade, but you know what? You guys ever seen Time Cop? <laughs> <laughs> My exact note says, kicks past Macomb into future Macomb. Dumb, terrible looking effect. Yeah. Because they kind of like merge together in this weird like blobby thing and like melt and then. He fizzles and disappears, kind of, but then turns into like goo? Basically, yes. But what we should say is that Macomb as we know from the past, is that the house is going to explode and it's because Macomb has like a bomb in the house. Somewhere, yeah. Somewhere in the house. So once the two kind of melt into the Lamagra, uh, JCVD and um, Mia Sarah get out of the house right before it explodes. Right. Uh, and at that point, he kind of she's knocked unconscious, but he's still fine, and he kind of leaves her by the past JCVD. He's right, right, still right. unconscious. Yes. Um... So he gets, we're kind of, I don't even know if we show him, we just kind of cut back to the future, um, the 2004, where everything's kind of different now, like, or maybe back to how it was, because- uh, I think it's back to how it was, for the most part. Because Bruce McGill knows him, yep. they're still buddies. Him, they're still friends, yep. Right, and he runs into Fielding, yep. but she doesn't know who he is, because they've never actually met. Right. But he throws out some kind of line about because <laughs> he had told her, told him some weird story about like a, a his her first boyfriend or something right. like that and blah blah blah. So he throws out this little line where he's like, "Oh, so give so and so you should have given so and so another chance or something." And she gets like a look on her face, like, "Huh?" Yeah, it's it's really kind of dumb. Um, he gets into his dumb looking car again, drives to the house. He says he says home, <laughs> expecting home. to go back to his apartment. Uh, nope. Pulls, the car pulls up to his house. Right. Door opens, outruns a 10-year-old, 9-year-old kid. Yep. Dad, daddy, gives him a big hug. He's a father because his wife didn't get killed. So he has a son. And I think the last thing she said to him was like, oh, I got something to tell you, like implying that she's pregnant again. Yeah. And that's the end. That's that's it. That's it. <laughs> and I have, like, I'm, I'm, what makes me, what's what really baffles me about this is, did he come back to the future and have no memory of his child? Hmm. It seemed as though, yes, you know what? The movie posits that he did not know the son, that he seemed surprised to see the son. Yeah, and that he was surprised to go back to his house. So do they ever get their memories back? <laughs> well, like this, this, this movie certainly doesn't explain if they do or not. Well, because... When 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 past um, past Macomb gets cut, it shows up on future Macomb. Right. You'd think that the memories would have the same effect, right? 
I don't know. I feel like maybe the explanation would be that because time changed while he was still in the past and adjusted, he would never like it never like passed over him and he, you know, like everything else changed into the future, but he was in the past when everything did. So when he caught up with it, he just traveled to it so he didn't ever get affected by all the changes and it didn't affect his memory and stuff. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's the best I but can how do. How sad would that be? Well, to be like, "Oh, I have a 10-year-old son that I know nothing about." Yeah. Um yeah, it'd be really weird. Right. <laughs> this movie a, this movie's a tragedy. In some ways. But it's, it it's, really is. It's better to have a ten year old son you don't know than no son and a dead wife. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> fair, <laughs> you mean, know what? I can't argue that point. I mean if we're wa- if we're waging uh, tragedies against one another, I think he probably would have been a lot happier than when he was sitting in his apartment by himself drinking uh, and mouthing the lines from his video with his wife. I don't know. It was the late, it was the uh, the middle '90s. JCVD seemed uh, seemed to be pretty happy with drinking. <laughs> well, that's fair. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's the movie in a nutshell. Um, in a nutshell, I think we covered it pretty good. <laughs> uh, I did want to mention one other thing. So the the Timecock TV series uh, that was created by uh, Mark Verheiden, uh it was broadcast on ABC in 1997. Uh, there were 13 episodes ordered, only nine aired. Uh, it really had little to do with the actual movie. Uh, basically, they said the plot, the show focused on it like a different TEC agent called Jack Logan, who basically would go around and hunt down rogue time travelers. Right. And I didn't get into, but you know, it seemed like they had guest stars who played like different famous like historical figures, you know. Uh, so it seemed like it was maybe more of like an episodic thing where I'm assuming like each episode was. Oh no, something's wrong with history, sure. you know. I don't remember this show existing at all. I remember that it existed. I remember that it was they would show reruns of it on like, you know, TV20 or whatever. Oh, really? Um and I remember they had sequels like to the movie. Oh, did they really? Yeah, there were yeah, there were a couple sequels. Huh. Um they were Time Cop 2: The Berlin Decision starring uh Jason Scott Lee. Um and I think that was they have another one after that. That might have been it. <laughs> and there were some comic books. Yeah. Uh, SNES game. Um, yeah. But I mean, this movie, I mean, we discussed it being, it was a big hit. Yeah, it was a big hit. Which and is, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, when we get into our ratings, we'll maybe talk about sure. a little bit more about that. Um, just a couple of random things I saw when kind of doing research on it. One of the things I saw, I saw it a couple places and I thought it, I don't know. I didn't really get it, but they said that uh, the 2004 JCVD, they said that his stair- hairstyle that he had in the future was partially influenced by Wolverine. Yeah, I read that too. And I didn't quite get what they meant by that. Because Wolverine think- has a very distinctive, like, insane hairstyle where sure. it's two <laughs> spikes basically sticking up. So I didn't quite get what they were saying by it was in- influenced by that. I think maybe just kind of the long mulletiness of it. I guess maybe, maybe. but is Wolverine's like a mullet? Maybe maybe then, maybe in like the 90s. I guess maybe. I don't know. I didn't quite get that one. Also, uh, the thing they said that seemed kind of interesting, but they said like during those scenes where they, where they had the, the past and the future JCVD, like during those fight scenes, they said that they basically utilized his stunt double a lot. Yeah. They kind of pull off some of those scenes where they were together. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that movie does a pretty good job. There's a few uh, with having the two characters, you know, occupy the same scenes. There's one of the scenes that I remember particularly with both Ron Silvers where you could tell it it, it looked kind of bad. Sure. I think it was maybe right before he got kicked into him. Yes. 
which it, I was kind of like, all right, you know, I mean, it was 1994, it was a different time, so I mean, it, the effects are okay, but, and the only other, like, really not necessarily interesting thing I saw was that it said that, um, the, he, <laughs> he's chewing gum when he's, like, in the, uh, the pod or the, the thing going back to time, and apparently that was, uh, Black Black Chewing Gum, which is a gum that JCVD did commercials for in Japan. Yes. In I, I read that as well. So I was like, all right, so he's getting a little plug for him in the movie. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, there's just, there's a lot of stuff with this movie that I think they kind of gloss over. Yeah, that they, they don't exactly set up the rules of time travel very well. And whatever perceived rules there are, they clearly don't follow them. Right. So it's very... And there's a lot of questions. And that's and I guess, you know, that's the tricky thing with time travel movies in general is developing the rules for it. Right. But I think here's the thing. I think I'm willing with a time travel movie, it's time travel. It's not a real thing, right? But if you give me some kind of rules for the movie, that rule A B C and follow them, fine. Sure. Yeah. You know, like a recent example, Avengers Endgame. Yeah. They set up their time travel rules. They uh, then they uh, abide by them. Mm-hmm. So it's time travel. It's not a real thing, but at least you know how it works in the movie. They don't really ever explain time travel. They they tell you that it exists and it's a thing that happens, but they don't explain the rules are real. You can't run into your old self. You can interact with them. You just can't physically touch them. Right. But that's it. Yeah, it's essentially the only rule they really develop. Which is like, I get it. This is more of an action movie with time travel as a plot device. So they kind of sure. probably figured they could gloss over it. Well, they certainly did. And get some cool scenes where, hey, we're back at the, you know, uh, New York in the 20s and the stock market. And, oh, we're back in the Civil War. And, you know, <laughs> and that's the interesting thing to me. Because some of the, like those scenes in the past, like the one in the, the Civil War era and the one in the, the yeah. 20s. They look good. They look really good. They look really good. But then I feel like some of the other stuff is kind of shoddy in this. Yeah. Like 1994, like the the TEC itself is so uninteresting. Like it's a... Yeah. It's like, like a weird cacophony of like lab equipment and office space. And I get it. It's supposed to be like a government building, maybe nondescript, but it's like you're like police time. You think it could be more of an interesting building with like things going on. Yeah. Oh, isn't there also, was this also the one where they had the weird, like, unnecessary second secondary, like, nudity scene in it where, like, the guy that works at the, um, the guy that works at the time travel place, he's using, like, a VR simulator, yes. and it's just, like, an unnecessary scene to show, like, a naked woman for, like, a minute, and then they yeah. show up and they're like, hey, I told you not to do that at work. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> he's looking at VR porn, yeah. basically, at work, at his desk. Yeah, and it was, like, just, like pigeonholed in to be like hey we're rated r check this out yeah (laughs) although that's that's a classic jcvd thing to do it's true Mm. um do you think we're ready to rate this oh yeah all right (laughs) now the real question is who goes first you know what i'm gonna go first um okay and kind of let you you go because i'm I'm curious as to where you're gonna go with this but I'm, i'm gonna go you know I, I really went into this movie wanting to like it. You know, I'd heard some good things about it, and I knew it was one of his most famous movies. And I just, I wanted to like it. And I really started to at the beginning. Like, I would say for the first 25 minutes or so, I was really into it. Like, I thought, the like I said, the stuff in New York and in Georgia in the past looked really cool and looked, you know, 
and I kind of the setup was okay, but the more this movie went on, the more it fell apart to me. The more questions I had, the more the time travel didn't make sense. The motivation for the whole plot where he was trying to earn money for a presidential campaign that I didn't enjoy that that seemed weak to me um the fight scenes were kind of cool but I didn't think they were particularly spectacular especially the one at the end the big set piece that's all in darkness and rain so it's like you can't really see any of what's going on um I don't know I mean it was short which is good but also bad because they didn't explain anything in it I don't know. I think where I'm at with this movie, because it wasn't a terrible watch, it just, it just, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with two and a half machine guns. All right. No, I think it's fair. Um, you know, I'm kind of a JCVD fanboy. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and, and you're right. If you pick this movie apart, if everything falls apart, it's not a, they don't follow the rules. There's the time travels nonsense. Um, yeah, it's just nonsense. <laughs> but um, but I enjoyed watching the movie. Like I, it it felt like it felt like a great shitty '90s action film. <laughs> like I don't know how to describe it other than to say that. Right. Um. And and John Claude Van Damme, I thought acting wise, did a great job. Yeah, I think he was fine in it. Yeah, I don't think he, I don't I don't think any of the there was no bad acting. You know, Ron Silver was great in this. I like Bruce McGill in it a lot. Yeah, too. Bruce McGill's great in this. Ron Silver's. I love Ron Silver. Yeah, Ron Silver was good. It, even if his motivation was weak, he was good in the role. Yeah, and I miss Ron Silver. Yeah, I wish he was in more. I wish he was still alive to do yeah. more. R.I.P. Ron Silver. R.I.P. Ron Silver, indeed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff here. You know, if you if you take the plot with a grain of salt, I mean, it's really completely nonsensical. Right. But overall, I enjoy the movie a lot. Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Oof. Right. Only because. Uh, yeah, it's a little fanboy, but I'm gonna give it a three and a half. All right, you know, and I, I won't fault you too much for it. I, I, I would see. My problem is that I would probably be more at a three with this movie, if like I can forgive a weak and nonsensical plot, if the action sequences were better in this. And I just don't feel that the action sequences are great in it. I really like the fight in his apartment. I think that's the best one in this. But I think a lot of the other ones just aren't great. And especially the one in the factory is okay. There's some cool stuff in there. But the one, the main set piece at the end, I didn't, like I said, with all the dark and stuff. So yeah. I think that's, you know, like I said, I'm willing to, for an action movie, obviously it's the genre we look at. I'm willing to forgive a lot of plot stuff if the action is great. And I just didn't think the action was great in this. So that's why I'm kind of where I'm at with it. Fair enough. No, I, 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 totally, I totally buy that. <laughs> all right. Um, I think we kind of, we nailed this thing pretty good. Yeah, I think we kind of got it, got it down. Yeah. I would say it's time to get into... Action bracket? Action bracket. <laughs> we are in round seven of action bracket. Ooh. We're going, there's, only, there's only this round and one more round left. Oh, nice. For the first round. Okay. This week we have, you ready? I'm ready. Indiana Jones okay. from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. And Rambo from <laughs> First Blood. Wow. Yeah. What a matchup. That is a crazy matchup. Is- I don't know where this is going to go. It's, it's, I mean, I, I know... I mean, there's a couple people out there that I know are going to vote Rambo, yeah, and a couple people out there that I know will vote Indiana Jones. Man, this is a very interesting one, especially with it being the the, the Rambo from what movie he's from. You yeah, know? It, we're talking First Blood Rambo, yeah, not not like 
First Blood Part Two, where he's basically a giant, you know. Yeah, I think it makes it more of a fair matchup. So I think that's yeah. that's I think that's it. I think this is an interesting one. I, I, I could see this one going either way. Yeah, I don't know where I would necessarily vote on this. Yeah, because I love I love First Blood so much, but I also love a Raider so much, and, yeah. and the character of Indiana Jones. Well, and speaking of that, where can you know voting? Where can people vote on this? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. Ha <laughs> ha! You can vote on um, Facebook. And on uh, uh, Discord, Des- Discord's a great place to go. So jo- if you join our Discord, first of all, if you want an invite to our Discord, just hit us up on Instagram or Facebook, and we'll I'll shoot you personally a, um, a, a direct invite to our Discord. Um, but yeah, so you can vote on Discord, you can vote on, on Facebook, you can, if you donate $1 a month to Patreon for our, our you know, GameZilla Media Patreon, you get access to vote in additional time on Patreon. So you get a total of three votes. Wow. Yeah. You could heavily influence how these end up. Certainly. And if you donate $5 to Patreon, you get access to extra shows, like uh, when Joe took me to Action Court. Over, <laughs> and, and lost miserably. You did lose miserably. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And in uh, our wrap-up of Endgame. Yeah, which is a great one. That's that was a good if, one. If you saw Endgame and you want to hear us get into it in detail, that's a, it's, a great, it's a great one to listen mm-hmm. to. It is. Uh, so yeah, so check us out on, on Patreon, and uh, we, we really appreciate the patrons that have already donated and, yeah. and continue to donate every month, and we would love it if more people would. Of course, yeah. Um, and so, And you can obviously check us out on, like I said, Facebook, Instagram. We're on Instagram quite a bit. We're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. Uh, and then we're also at GameZillaMedia.com, where you can find all of our podcasts. Right. Such as? Such as, well, obviously the mothership itself, the GameZilla Media podcast. Correct. Uh, you got our Dungeons and Dragons, Noobs and Dragon. Yes. Uh, the uh, classic video game podcast, Legend of Retro, mm-hmm. which this podcast has crossed over with. We have, and we'll, we will cross over again with. Yes, definitely. Um, and then you also have uh, Noiseland Arcade, mm-hmm. our Simpsons podcast. That's correct. So there's basically something coming out almost every day of the week. Yeah, generally. And if something doesn't drop, go back and listen to one of our episodes again. Yeah, we're, we're good re-listen. But you know, I, I like we we always say this, and it sounds cliche, but there really is something for everybody to check out here at Games Media. Yeah, from streamers to you know YouTube videos, we do pretty much everything. Yeah, it's all there. So I mean, check it out. Uh, you know, there's going to be something that you're going to enjoy. Yep, I agree. Um, like this movie, I enjoyed this movie. <sighs> Boy, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I like I want to give you a harder time about it, but I suggested it. So you did, yeah. Which I'm glad you suggested it. I mean, next one I'm going to push for is Sudden Death. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but let's wait. Oh. We got to wait and make Sphinx watch that one. We do. He's got, I, think he, I think you might have seen it. He's gotten out of the last two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. So. He has. We, I'm going to make him watch like three in a row. We're just going to do a Jean-Claude Van Damme month. <laughs> oh, gosh. I it's going to be the really bad ones, too. I think I'm unavailable. <laughs> like Legionnaire. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case... Uh, this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated, but we'll be back.